We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 183. Our guest today became one of only two riders to ever win the triple crown of show jumping, the American Invitational, the International Jumping Derby, and the American Gold Cup, and the only person to win all three on the same horse. While she has so many achievements and interests within the equestrian industry as a rider, trainer, interested in veterinary medicine, in course design, she also has been to eight Olympic Games as an analyst with NBC Sports. When I heard her commentating for the Olympic Games this year for the equestrian sports, I knew I needed to have her on to talk about how she managed to be a part of this amazing part of the industry for eight Olympic Games now for 33 years. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Melanie Smith-Taylor. Well, I would love to hear how you first found yourself in the equestrian world. Well, I grew up on a little farm and my mother was very immersed in horses her whole life. And she started a riding school here in Germantown, Tennessee. So I, I mean, I've ridden since I was born practically. And so I, I helped with all the lessons. I used to lead all of her lessons and get on the horses that needed a little bit of work or gotten a little gate sour or something. So I sort of rode all day, every day, my whole childhood, basically. And my, and then between my mother and Pony Club, they were really my only teachers until I was probably, I guess, 18. Wow. So. Uh, what, I mean, from there, when you were 18, were you kind of thinking that you wanted to really be working in the equestrian industry as your career? What were your thoughts towards it at that point in time? Well, I knew horses would always be in my life. And we had heard... We'd heard about a clinic in Knoxville, Tennessee, which was, was across the state. It was like an eight-hour drive. At that point, there were no interstates. And it was being um, held by, uh, taught by George Morris. We'd never heard of George Morris. And they said he was teaching something new called the Crest Release. We were like fascinated. Wow. What in the world was the Crest yeah. Release? So, wait. <laughs> so we, and it was actually at a, uh, Penrose Farm, which is where Sue Ash and Molly Ash, they all, uh, her, her daughter grew up. So it was just really funny. This was back in the um, late 60s. And so we drove across the straight the state for the, for the clinic. And, you know, we were just mesmerized. By, I, I had just, you know, always ridden by the seat of my pants, just rode all day, every day with my friends, cross country and bareback and just rode as a you know, as a kid would have fun. So I didn't really know the technical terms for things. So I was really, uh, George always called me the country bumpkin when I first <laughs> rode with him. <laughs> and so anyway, my, we, my mother asked if I could, you know, ride with them and get some lessons. And he thought we were just kidding. So he didn't think, you know, he, he knew we were just country. So he didn't think there was any place for us. So we kind of went home from that clinic with our tail between our legs and 
then we heard he did the clinic again the next year. We went back the second year and tried again. And so my mother again asked George, you know, if I could have some lessons. And he, I had just gotten out of juniors and the amateur owner division wasn't really started yet. So he just didn't think there was anything placed for me. And he thought my, my horse was just kind of another bay horse. It wasn't anything special. Mm-hmm. So he discouraged us again. And he, uh, he asked my mother what, you know, what she wanted for her daughter. And she, she said, well, what about the Olympic team? Well, when she said that, I was so embarrassed. I wanted to crawl <laughs> under the table. I was so far away from the Olympic team. <laughs> and, and, and mother wasn't pushy. She, in fact, she was one of George's favorites her whole life. She favorite people. She, she just wanted the best for her daughter that, you know, she hadn't had the opportunities. And so anyway, he thought we were you know, we're crazy. So he said, I don't mean literally. And my mother said, well, can we meet you in Florida, you know, for some lessons? And he said, sure. And I know he thought we'd never find our way to Florida because, you know, we just had this little station wagon with a two horse trailer. And so anyway, we did end up going to Florida. And of course, uh, I think George kind of pretended he didn't know who I was. And then (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it just we had it just we had the greatest luck you know that it, it was when the amateur jumper division was starting and so I had a horse called the Irishman and I went in the first class he had a sent we just figured we'd enter the amateur jumper class and and he went clean and then there was a jump off and I didn't even know what a jump off was and we were really country and so I asked somebody and they said well you just go again over a short course you just go as fast as you can so I did and we won won the class, the first class. So George was like, then he was like, well, maybe I should show some interest. And then yeah, he, he I think was I always there. You actually. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he didn't, he was always there for the warm up after that. And, you know, it's just luck would have it. It was just, my horse really was a sweet horse and he, we ended up being champion of the circuit and he was horse of the year that year. I mean, it just, everything just kind of fell in place. And I was, I ended up George after Florida. Florida then was only Winter Haven in Tampa. He asked me to be his, he called it supervising instructor, but basically it was a working student. I groomed and helped ride horses and stuff. And up at, when he was at Old Mill Farms on Long Island, and I went up and, and spent the year there and and just had a great, uh, great experience. It just sort of catapulted me into that world and because i had just been geographically pretty much removed from you know the top shows and and it just was a wonderful experience and then i remember going with george when he first went to see hunterdon and found hunterdon i went with him to look at the property i'll never forget that it was just a little old farm with a little old red barn it was nothing and he you know developed it into quite a quite a beautiful show place so anyway and there were people along the way like carol thompson was just so we'd be stabled next to her like at devon she was really kind to me and uh you know helped let me ride some of her horses and so there were just a lot of people that that really were helpful that first year that i would just you know did sort of come out of nowhere from nowhere (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and my mother went with me on the road. She was my groom. We just, we had a great time. We really did. What are some moments that kind of stick out in your head as really like highlights of your riding career? 
of my of my riding career or that year of your riding Just, career. Okay. Oh, well, definitely the winning the the World Cup in in 1982 in Sweden. That was a huge thing and and then uh and then obviously the it was such a disappointment. It was so exciting to make the Olympic team in 1980 and then a disappointment that it, there was the boycott and we didn't go to the Olympics, but we there were alternate Olympics and I was the um individual bronze medalist and and that was that was an interesting year also there were uh there were three horses in the jump off and I was to go first so I had warmed up and then got to the end gate and there was some one of the other competitors they had reported that he had been seen illegally preparing his horse in the woods and so they held me at the end gate while they investigated that and then they didn't let me go back to school so when I went in I had the first jump down but ended up having the fastest time oh, I would have won. Man. But anyway, that's just the way it goes. But that that was a great experience and then of course anchoring the team that won the the goal, we were the first American team to win the show jumping team in 1984. So that was definitely the biggest highlight with with Calypso. Calypso so is cool. the horse I rode for all three. Wow, that's amazing. I think another incredible thing to note, not only have you had such an amazing riding career, you also have an incredible, you know, clinic and judging and you, you are able to now teach so much. Tell me a little bit about how you were able to incorporate uh, then teaching and and traveling all over uh, to host clinics. Well, I felt I always felt it was important to be as involved as possible in the in the whole equine world, equestrian world. So when I back in the early seventies, I applied and and got my judge's card, my big R and hunter and jumper and equitation and also breeding. I felt like it was important to be a part of that, and I judged just enough to keep my card because I was showing all the time then. And I just think it's good to be well rounded. And I've always done clinics. Uh, you know, George was a, a big person for me that made me realize he was a great mentor. And I've a lot of my clinics, I've, you know, taught he was sort of a good role model and mentor for that. And then I also dabbled a little in course design. I really enjoyed that because I always liked setting courses and making up courses at home. I did a little bit of course designing. And, uh, and then I got involved also after the Olympic Games. I was asked to do some TV commentary for equestrian events and got involved in that and, and really enjoyed that. I've done that for 33 years for, for NBC mainly. I've done all the Olympics but I've, and World Championships, but I've also done some for, I think it was uh, ESPN. And there was another outdoor life or out of this. I've been a bunch of different channels that I've had. I've had equestrian things on so I've done yeah I've done quite a bit of that and that's been fun and then I've traveled and do clinics and now I teach I teach young riders here but I don't I don't teach locally except my own people here on the farm I only travel to do clinics because I don't I like to stay fresh I don't do a clinic every week I don't do a ton of clinics I 
Mm-hmm. I don't like to turn people down. I do what I'm asked, but I don't really advertise to do clinics. Yeah. <laughs> so I might, you know, I might do six or eight a year. And then we have little horsemanship short courses here at the farm where people can come for a couple of days or a week or two weeks and work with us and learn a lot about the whole aspect of riding, a lot of the groundwork and, and the riding and the horsemanship aspect of it. So, yeah. I just like being involved in lots of different things. And I've always enjoyed the young horses. I've always brought along young horses. I like to develop my horses from the beginning to the end, if possible. You have had your hand in so many parts of the industry. It's crazy. That's so cool. It's just been fun. It's just kind of natural. You know, it just happens that way. Yeah. I think I'm just always curious. And I'm always, I'm really interested in veterinary work and farrier work or we're now working on, uh, I mean, we're real, I'm really interested in, in keeping horses barefoot rather than shoeing, if possible, learning more about the feet. I've always gone to the American Association of Equine Practitioners, the annual veterinary clinics for years, been invited by, when you're in the industry a long time, you, you have a lot of veterinarians that are friends, and I've been fortunate to be invited to that. I, I love to keep up on all the things going on in the veterinary world it's to me it's just fascinating whenever the vets are here or the farriers are here just from the very beginning from when i was little i would just always want to be there watching and asking questions i'm just really fascinated by all that and i, I try to read read about that i try to to read a lot of the old writing books i try to kind of go through my library and touch up on different old equestrian masters from time to time and you know, just keep up on things. But as George would say, he, uh, Gordon Wright was his teacher, would say, you know, there's nothing new. There's nothing new in writing. Nobody teaches anything different. We just teach it in a different way or with a different phrase or a different, put a different emphasis on it. So it's fun to go back and see how, how other, how the, the writing instructors before me from centuries ago how they word things how they put things and so i i I got i garnered different ways to teach different ways to express something to people that maybe you know they'll have that light bulb moment if i say it a certain way it'll really mean something even though it's the same thing their own instructor might be saying to them it just helps them it helps them learn more from their own instructor if they just can see it in a different light that's a great point yeah that's a really really good point and something i feel like is so cool that you've been able to be a part of is just the idea of being able to be a voice for the equestrian world in a mainstream format. You've been a part of uh, commentating for eight Olympic games now with this, with this last um, one this year. And I just think that that's really one of the main mainstream exposure that our sport gets. So I think that the, the, the fact that you are, you know, one of the main voices for that is so incredible. How did you initially get in touch with and kind of develop that partnership with NBC to be able to be a part of these Olympic Games? Well, it was interesting. In, in 1984, uh, uh, there was a gentleman that was a, a producer and he, he had heard or he either interviewed me or he'd heard some of my interviews after we had won. And he then, he was with ABC, and then he, who had the rights in 84, and then NBC had the rights from 88 on, 
he then be, became the coordinating producer at NBC. And he had remembered me from Los Angeles. And he asked me to come for it. And he just remembered that I had was somewhat articulate in expressing <laughs> my thoughts. You, <laughs> you know, can put some know. words together. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, which, and so they, they invited me to New York for an interview. So I'd never done anything. And they just showed a film. It was like a pentathlon event or something, you know, a really, a really low uh, jumper class and just had me commentate on it and talk about it. And, and so they, they hired me to do my first event I ever did was the badminton horse trials in England. It's a huge five-star three-day event. That was my first event, but I did it with uh, Jim Simpson, who was a, a longtime broadcaster. And he just really taught me the ropes. He was such a wonderful guy. And then I went right from there to that, after that, in a couple months to the Seoul Olympics. So that the Seoul Olympics was my, Seoul career was my first Olympic gig. And back then it was so much more fun because we went to the actual venue. I went to Seoul. I went to Barcelona. I went to Sydney, Australia. I went to Atlanta, Georgia. That wasn't as exciting. But <laughs> then, and then, um, I missed Athens, Georgia, because my husband was sick that year, and I, I didn't want to leave. And then the next one, where was the next one? was in Beijing. We didn't get to go, or Hong Kong. We didn't get to go to Beijing. The eventing was in, the, the equestrian was in Hong Kong. We did that out of New York. That's when they the live stream had started, and they did it. we did it out of the New York studios. Like 40% of the sports were done from new york so we watched it on a screen and called it live just like everybody else was watching it on a screen and then we did get to go to london we worked there in the studio but we didn't get to go to the venue and then from then on rio and this time we were in connecticut we didn't get to go so i really miss when you're not at the venue you can't watch the horses school you can't have access to the riders and talk to them and get the information the things people want to know where the horse right. came from how how the horse you know what how you worked on getting him to change leads or to get sharper with his front end or how do you get him to use his back so well all the little things that are fun to talk about but you can't get that information you know you have to call people on a cell phone or you just have to rely on the biographies on the fei website and it's it's just it's not as i still enjoy doing it but it's a lot more work and like this time with the, the games in Tokyo, we had to work the graveyard shift. So I would go in like at 1 a.m. and we'd finish, you know, around 9 a.m. So, you know, work all night. And the equestrian goes through the whole time because I did all of that, all three disciplines. So it was a lot of work. So yeah. you, you work all night, then you go home, and then you have to study most of the day to get ready for the next night. So, you know, I, I still enjoyed it, but it's 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 so much harder, and it's just not as much fun. So, you know, but I, it's still it was it's still fun to do. Still fun to be a, a part of it Definitely. and to try to to try to be able to explain it. But it's also difficult because NBC wants you to speak to the people as if they know nothing about it. They're just kind of you know, going through the channels that come up on a question and you need to kind of right. get get their attention. So it's difficult because the people that really know a lot about, I mean, I'm totally comfortable with the jumping, but say the dressage, people that know a lot about the dressage, you know, they want to hear more 
expert commentary on dressage, but that's that's not what we're told to do. We're we're to mm-hmm. just try to keep it simple. So I try to yeah. find the balance. I that's an interesting dynamic because you'd you'd think I mean, obviously, without knowing the the stats of who's exactly watching, you'd think that the majority of those watching are already within the sport and know, know a lot yeah, ex- about it. Except think about this. The people that are really interested, they've already watched the live stream in the middle of the night. They got up right. at 2 and 3 They set their alarm. Watched, <laughs> yeah, they watched the live stream. And, and so, you know, our show was on later. And so they may have watched it again. But anyway, that that's a difficult balance to reach. I just do the best I can, and and that's all I can do. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. hard to. So anyway, I enjoyed it, and I tried hard, and Lord knows I did a lot of studying and a lot of work to prepare for it. Right. Well, it definitely it definitely showed. I remember this year listening to you explain, and it's funny because I'm sure that you're often if you're, you know, working alongside someone who, you know, maybe doesn't know as much or have experience in the equestrian industry to be able to kind of navigate those conversations as well as you're commentating. And I was so impressed with how you go about explaining it in like a very clear and concise way. Taking a little break because I am so excited to talk about our sponsor today, Jiv Athletics. Have you heard of them? They provide women the comfort and confidence they deserve within everyday athletic wear, which all starts with what's underneath. Jiv Athletics is an athletic undergarment company that specializes in performance underwear for women. Not only does Jiv Athletics offer ultra premium quality, their undergarments are breathable, wickable, tagless, roll-free, and camel toe proof. Inspired to end constant underwear tugging during a workout or a ride, Jiv Athletics creates undergarment pieces to fit to make wearing yoga pants or breeches all the more comfortable. Using breathable luxe fabrics, this woman-owned brand understands the importance of eliminating unsightly silhouettes with a patent-pending 3D mold spacer that blurs the lines between tech and fashion. I just recently got my first pair of Jiv Athletics underwear and it is the most incredible pair of underwear that I have ever owned. I give all my thoughts and some more information about Jiv Athletics over on my lifestyle page, My Equestrian Style, but if you want to check out more information and the products that they have, head over to their website at jivathletics.com. That's J-I-V-A-T-H. L-E-T-I-C-S dot com. Thank you so much, Jiv Athletics. You are amazing, and I cannot wait to see you more and more in the horse community. All right, let's head back to the episode. Give me a little rundown of how these last Olympics in Tokyo went. Well, it, it was definitely exciting to watch. All three disciplines had terrific you know, winners. It started off with the dressage, and oh my gosh, the the gal that that won with Delara, her her mare, is just dressage has really changed from so many years ago from the really heavy horses to the lighter uh, horses with yeah. more finesse. It was just beautiful to watch. I, I and the excitement of our team winning the silver medal was really really great. I just I was thrilled, you know. And I I mean I'm. I've always really been a dressage fan, but I'm not, you know, in depth into the dressage, but I know know the riders. I follow them a lot. 
I mean, I, I know who they are. I don't know them personally, all of them, but I, I've followed them a lot. Follow them a lot, and I know how what terrific uh, competitors and riders they are. So I was I was so happy for our team. And then the three day team, our team, unfortunately, didn't have a great showing, but the the British were so fantastic. And then the, then the gal, the German gal, Julia, that won was was really something and hers was such a hard luck story she'd lost her she lost her best horse had, had lost an eye and then her other top horse had been given to mikhail young so she was down she didn't even think she was going to make the team and then to make it on her young horse and then to beat to win it all was that was pretty incredible and then the to see the British horses, all the British horses and riders, they are just fantastic. Yeah. And then the jumping was just over the top. You know, they it definitely had terrific results. The both the individual with Ben Marin Explosion winning. I mean, he's he was certainly favored to win and then to be able to come through and Peter Fredrickson winning the silver medal, two Olympics in a row. I mean, when has that ever been done with all clear mm-hmm. rounds but one tiny rail? And then the team coming down to the, the Swedes and the Americans who had jumped off in the in the Athens Olympic for the gold and then in Tryon in the World Championships three years ago. It was just incredible. Yeah. That was really but the Swedes, you know, in the end everybody agreed they deserved to win. Their horses had jumped so many clear rounds and with the mm-hmm. new format, so many clear rounds it didn't count. So it really worked out great. And I know there was a lot of controversy over the not having the drop score but it was certainly easy to follow and it ended up being great sport so they'll they'll figure all that out and i I don't really have an opinion on that so (laughs) yeah do you think that there'll be changes again for the next games well if there's not changes there'll be a whole lot of controversy Mm -hmm. you know over it so i don't know how that'll work out but you know they'll figure it out there were also made me think of you some barefoot horses too, which I thought was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that was really amazing to see that two of the gold medal horses competed without shoes, and it, and then King Edward Henrik von Eckermann, he he just jumped a, a double clear round in the Barcelona finals over mm-hmm. the weekend, and it, and his horse is King Edward is still barefoot. It's pretty amazing. So cool. Yeah, I love it. Tell me about an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian industry either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. Well, I don't know if they don't, they probably don't know a lot about, but I don't know if they do talk a lot about it, but I, I've always very interested in, in uh, being able to do the proper groundwork and do really understand the nature of the horse. And, and the horsemanship aspect, but by the horsemanship aspect, I mean the the handling of the horse, not just stable management, like bandaging their legs and whatnot. And and when it's done correctly, it's uh it's just such a a, a lot of people call it natural horsemanship, but I don't really like to call it that. It's just mm-hmm. it's just handling horses correctly. It's just horsemanship. When I retired from competition, I when I was competing, I always strived to be every day to be a better rider that day than I was the day before, just working on my my riding. And then once I retired, I wanted to be a better horseman each day than I was the day before. I really wanted to hone my 
horsemanship skills, which I always had felt was a very top priority for me. I'd always taken care of my own horses and their their welfare, how they were cared for, their health, their soundness, their training, their fitness was always, all of those things were so important to me. And I never had a big string of horses. I like to be able to manage all my horses and not have other people ride them, but I, I was in control of that totally. And so I've had a lot of experience once I retired and married my husband, Lee Taylor. We, he was having clinics here, cult starting clinics, because we had over 100 horses. We have, you know, 20 cults a year to start. Wow. He would have Ray Hunt and then eventually Buck Branneman come. And they're just such true horsemen. I mean, they are the real deal. There's a lot of pseudo trainers and horsemanship trainers out there, but these guys are the real deal. And it just was so fun to be able to really focus and hone in on what's important to the horse and how to really, really be aware of what's important to the horse and why horses do what they do. They're, they're all wired the same, whether they're born in a stall or born in the wild, they, they all are wired to have survival, their self-preservation survival instincts and horses that spook and do things, you always have to ask the reason why. It's because those things are important to the horse. It could be a life or death thing for a horse, something he sees out of the corner of his eye. He's not just spooking to be stupid and be a jerk, but it's because you know he doesn't understand how to deal with that if he's not allowed to see it, to hear it, and to be able to move his feet, to be able to feel like he can be in balance and be free to, to move away from danger. So I, we learned so much starting all of our cults. And now I, uh, the other area, so, so that's really important to me to be able, I would not even get on a horse for a standing photo without doing just a little groundwork, just being able to feel the horse on the end of the rope and just, just kind of see how he is that day. You can check their attitude. You can check their soundness. You can check so many things before you put a foot in the stirrup to keep yourself safe. But the other thing that's really important to me is so many of the young vets coming out of school are have not been raised on farms and ranches like we were. They didn't have horses in their backyard. And there's so many more young people going into the small animal than large animal. And whether it's vets or veterinary technicians, you know, they aren't comfortable around the large animals. So we're starting a program with the University of Tennessee at, at Martin, Tennessee, that has a vet tech program. We're, we're going to develop a veterinary tech program here that they will run, but we're going to add a horsemanship aspect to it so they can have hands-on work with the horses because veterinary, and these will be pre-vet students and also veterinary tech students, they they, you know, they're working with horses in stress situations. So you really need to be able to give a horse that trust and confidence that he's going to be okay and know how to handle a horse that's stressed and help him be, you know, available and, and safe to work around. So we're going to teach them the groundwork and teach them, you know, all about the nature of a horse and get them comfortable with horses so they can, they can have more successful careers. That's our goal. So that's one of the things yeah, we're that. doing. And then we also will bring in people, people that want to come in and just work with us for a couple of days or a week, or like I said, or two weeks and just work on the groundwork and the riding and how you just connect all of the same exercises you do on the ground 
to when you get on the horse's back. And it just helps the horse be so much more balanced and with you and just so really connected. It can really connect the horse and the rider. So that's that's been fun to do. Definitely. For, for someone listening and wanting to learn more about how to properly handle horses or better horsemanship with their horse, what, what advice would you give them? You know, find someone who is, is good at that. Find so go work with someone, go, you know, work. It's a learned, it's, it's nothing like lunging. Lunging is like a, is a mindless exercise for a horse. It just tires them out. The proper groundwork just connects a horse mentally. You're going through the horse's mind to get to his body, to get to, to be able to control his feet. Lunging, it doesn't have anything to do with the horse's mind. And it, think of, so I would say try to find someone who is good, you know, ask around, find someone who is really good to help you because think about the importance of, of, of having a horse mentally. If you think about trying to load a 1,200-pound horse in a trailer that doesn't want to go in, you're not going to physically get that horse in. Mm-hmm. But you can do things on the ground and with the groundwork, get getting the horse really responding. What the groundwork does, it teaches the horse the meaning of your aids. It allows them to understand what the aids mean. And it's the same aids on the ground as it is on the back. You're still asking a horse to move away from pressure, and the release of pressure is his reward. So that's all that's all riding is. That's all anything with a horse. It's just aids are just applying pressure. And the release of that aid is when is saying, Yes, that's what I wanted. If you continue the pressure, you're saying, no, keep looking. So it's really, it's all the same, whether you're, no matter what you're doing. So anyway, that's kind of a long-winded answer. Find someone that's good mm-hmm. to work with. <laughs> Do you have um, any go-to favorite books that you have learned a lot from? Oh, I have many. Oh my gosh, I would have to, I'd hate to just. Just say one. I was give me give me a list and I'll add it onto your episode so people can take a look. But I, I had a feeling that you have read quite a few great ones. Yeah, I I, I could I, I can I can get you a list. I can I'd hate to leave something out. And then I uh, I don't ever advertise my own stuff, but I, I do. We I did write a book a few years ago that actually has all of the groundwork lessons in it that we learned from Buck Brannaman and Ray Hunt. So it's the groundwork and then flat and jumping, how it all connects. So I go back and I review my own book a lot of times before a clinic, but then I'll also always take a couple books along with me to, um, to read just, just to give me do new and different ideas. Yeah. So I can, I can send you a list if you want. Love it. So yeah. And your book, your book is uh, riding lessons from the horse with life. Uh, Right, it's uh, riding with life lessons from the horse. Love it. Yeah, yeah. I rem- I remember seeing it. I think is it on? It's is on it Amazon. On Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. It's on Amazon, different places, and I, I have a bunch here. I usually take them to clinics so I can sign them for people. Yeah, it's just a nice kind of research book. You know, it's not going to ever sell thousands and thousands of copies. That wasn't the idea. It was just to try to be able to help people. Love if it. They wanted to be because it has lots of pictures, so it can really helps you, um, not just descriptions of how to do things, but also pictures, which I think is gives you a visual, which is nice. 
Definitely. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time to walk me through your story and your life. I think you've done some incredible things and um, love continuing to follow you. And I wish you all the best. Well, thanks. It's been a fun ride. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.